Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The year is 1980. Sydney's streets are filthy, running rampant with crime and corruption. Puberty blues is onto the cinemas. Ice House is blaring on the stereo. It's humid and dangerous. And a young man has decided to join the police force to fight crime. That man, of course is my dad. Loose Units, the podcast, was created to tell the cases that wouldn't fit into my first book, Loose Units. But Loose Units was a series of fantastical tales that I wrote based on the real crimes my dad solved on the force back in the early 80s. So this season, dad and I are finally going to go back, back, back to the year 1980. And each week, we'll be going chapter by chapter through Loose Units, the book. And dad will tell us the story behind my version of events. It'll be thrilling, Revelatory, and as always, very, very loose. Welcome to Loose Units Origins. Hello, and welcome to Loose Units Origins. It's a weekly podcast where I talk to my dad about his time in the police force in the 80s. We're going through my book, Loose Units, chapter by chapter. As you bloody well know, it's a dad, I mean, it's in the intro. I mean, it, provided they haven't skipped it already. Anyway, it's a sunny day in, um, in Melbourne right now. How are you doing in Sydney, Dad? Paul, the listeners... I feel as though when people listen to this podcast, they get into the vibe. What do you mean? Well, they feel comfortable. It's like a yeah. family. Yeah. It's like a it's like a fireside chat. Okay. Christine's working from home today. Mm-hmm. And she's on a major, major conference call. And the reason I wanted to say is that we set the little place up so that I'm on my own some lonesome. On your own some. <laughs> oh God. Um, but. The, slightly sad or poignant thing which uh-huh. i wanted to say to which i was alluding to is that christine is out on the balcony yeah with the door closed in the cold and, it, and it's oh so we should really kind of so all right so your your little preamble christine kindly uh is sacrificing her her comfort and well-being by being out on the balcony in the cold doing some work-related thing she can't be inside, otherwise people would hear her talking. What I'm trying to say is that the longer we waffle on, the colder Christine Verhoeven Correct. gets. Uh, <laughs> Correct. And, and, you know, it's a it's a bad winter to be stuck outside, so let's let's get a mosey delve in, on. Delve yeah. in, but I, I read the chapter this morning, as I do, as as is my homework uh-huh. and my, my duty. Yes. And once again, Paul, you've kicked a goal. Thanks, Dad. I mean, I like this chapter, but one of the reasons I like it, and this actually ties very neatly into kind of mum out there on the balcony dying of exposure, a la Scott of the Antarctic. This chapter kind of has two stories within it. And this is chapter 31. Jesus Christ, we are making some headway into this book. Chapter 31, The Haunting of North Sydney Station. Now, part one of this chapter 
Oh shit, there's kind of three discrete stories in here. The second one's very mum-centric. The first one is regarding uh, a you and Julian arrested a shoplifter at Woolies. Mm. Mm. Now, as far as I can tell, this this part of the story technically isn't true, uh, at least not in in the sense that it is here. It's it's put here so that later on mm. this criminal can be arrested in a way that seems like a kind of callback, right? Like mm. you you kind nice. of let this guy get away. Paul, right? it's so interesting what you've done there. I read it mm. and I almost wanted to say to you off air, yeah. Paul, mate, what's you've mentioned this incredibly significant character. Mm. And I kind of it threw me a little bit, but then I began to realise and you've just sort of cemented the fact that he is going to come up in some very, very bad ways in the future. Yeah, yeah, because we want to... I mean, look, the fact is that one of the most important characters uh, from a criminal perspective in Loose Units is this guy. Mm. But um, I, because I'm trying to tell a Hollywood-style story here, I wanted mm. to basically have him be someone that you could have arrested earlier mm. but but didn't. And, and there's that... You know in Spider-Man kind of... You know when Uncle Ben gets shot and Spider-Man could have stopped the killer? It's... It's a with great power comes great responsibility sort of mm. moment on, a, on like a lower scale. Anyway, mm. I love it. I'm and, really, it's, I'm stoked. I'm so happy you like it. But you and Jules basically arrest this guy. It's a bit of a softball. He's stealing some gum, I think. Mm, um, chewing gum. Yeah. Uh, were you juicy a juicy fruit. fruit guy? Or no, no, no. I don't even know whether they still sell chewing gum. Well, they do, but like you've got the hubba bubba, which is the kind of big bricks of stuff which you're not meant to swallow, which I always did. Um, my teeth are watering now thinking about that grape flavor. Oh, so good. But juicy fruit didn't actually do anything for your breath. Extra, right? You know, you chew it, it makes your breath smell minty. Juicy fruit was just sort of hard shell on the outside, like a little pellet. And then it had this kind of sweet, vaguely sweet flavor. And it didn't do anything for your breath. And I came in like a yellow, waxy Mm. kind of package. Mm. If anyone knows if Juicy Fruit still exists, please let us know because I I would murder some of that right now. Mm. Um, Anyway, story two has to do with, uh, and this is one I really want you to delve into for uh, the listeners and myself because I kind of just dipped my toe in for this chapter in the book. Julian had a stalker, correct? Mm. Girlfriend. Well, a girlfriend? She was very, very, very attractive. Right. Um. But if a stalker is attractive, does that make them any less of a stalker? No. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the weird thing is that this particular girl, she... The first time I met her mm. was on a beach, on the northern beaches. And she was topless. Oh. And she didn't sort of react at all. And topless sunbathing back in the very early 80s, was not common in Sydney. Um, we did have one or two nude beaches, but this was at a sort of a mainstream beach on the northern beaches. And Julian and I were sort of walking on the sand and walking towards this person, this girl, who was just sitting up. And um, Julian introduced me to her as his girlfriend. Um, and I thought it was quite interesting at the time meeting her. Topless. Yeah. Well, I, I just it struck me as being. Uh, I, I guess it was her her gay abandon of the fact that she didn't really care. Right. Okay. Interesting. 
but you've got this person. Clearly, things went a bit south. So, could you talk us through how how this story came to be? Give us the, give us the kind of lead up so there's some context. Mm. Well, I'm I'm kind of treading on thin ice here because I'm going to give an opinion. Uh, okay. And you don't mind me giving an opinion, do you? It really depends on the opinion, Dave. Mm. Well, <laughs> we will see how the opinion worked out if this stays on. You know, if you don't cut it out. And it's not that exciting or not that crucial, really. But in my opinion at the time, yeah. I felt that she mm-hmm. was definitely mm-hmm. unusual uh-huh. and slightly kind of unhinged. Nuts. You yeah. thought she was a little bit unstable. Yeah, okay. Slightly Captain Ratso. What? Um, Can you please clarify that reference for oh, us? Oh, look, it's just a term we used to use. In bygone days, Captain Ratso meant someone that was just basically... Well, you've not heard that term? No, I'm going to Google it because I want to see if it's like a character in something. Captain Ratso. Uh, it is not coming up on Google at all. It's oh, saying, did you, mean, did you mean Captain Fatso or Captain Rats mm. or Captain Gatso? Mm. No. Nope. Oh, there you go. So, I've, I've said something that is actually... People will know about that term, hopefully, uh, from that period. And... She had a very, very unusual brother. And he was twice as bizarre. Yeah. Like actually creepy and very odd. I don't want to sort of dwell on that. But there was definitely something in the in the gene pool, shall we put it that way? But she was very attractive. Right. Um, but, you know, kind of an unusual person, but very, very... Needy and insecure. How and old? How old were? Because um, oh, I mean, well, you, you guys were first of all, you guys were in your early twenties at this point. And mm. let me just say, people in their early twenties, uh, I don't think are expected to or necessarily should be the most emotionally stable people, right? I mean, mm. you're basically children at this point. Um, I wouldn't say that about me. Well, of course you wouldn't. Well, I wasn't. <laughs> I regarded myself as very debonair and mature. We know. <laughs> no, but you. Paul, I, I know, I know. I'm just having fun. No, no, it's fun. cool. Um, but yeah. I, I was very, very. Um, let's look, I guess it's very difficult to judge oneself. Um, yeah. But I, I Impartially, certainly anyway. Yeah. yeah. Look, I, yeah, I was pretty content with my with my lot in life. Mm-hmm. And um, do you think if people do you think there is a risk in going? This is who I am. This is what I'm like. And I've kind of you know I know I know exactly who I am. Uh, is there a kind of risk in being kind of inflexible and not being able to kind of accept new ideas and, and, no. and change as a person? No, no. no I'm not, I, I'm not I, accusing you of anything, by no. the way. I'm just, I'm posing no, I, 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 I think all people have evolved, hopefully. Yeah. And I think one of the things, I mean, getting older is, it's sort of, there's a bit of a dichotomy there insofar as... Good word. Does one become more rigid yeah. in one's thoughts and or does one become more open? Yeah. Um, and it's kind of weird me talking to you about this particular topic because we all perceive ourselves mm-hmm. um, as pretty open-minded. Yeah. Um, I mean, because you I, actually, you and mum, and this is just, I, I'm very proud of this fact, you and mum became more open-minded as the years went on, not the opposite. Mm-hmm. I mean, you became more open to new ideas, 
to new, um, you know, belief systems, to new kind of just new things being thrown at you in the world. You, YouTube opened your minds instead of shut them. And mm. it, was, it was always very relaxing to me to know that at the end of the day, when I came home, I didn't have to avoid certain topics, right? Mm, true. Um, but at 21, I guess you're just still very much like, why would you kind of close yourself off at that point? But I mean, we are getting slightly off topic, but I mean, I'm just trying to figure out, look, what I'm trying to say is that this girl might have been a bit Captain Ratso, as you said, but she was 21. So I think maybe I'm just trying to give Oh, she was younger. Oh, mm. sure. Okay, she was how- in her late teens. Okay. Okay. Oh. She, was, she became a bit of a stalker and it became problematic because Julian, the case in point to sort of punctuate her her sort of demeanour and the way she was acting was that when Julian tried to break up with her and she well and truly knew he was a serving police officer, Mm. it got to the stage where she would stalk Julian and she ended up hanging around the police station at North Sydney. Is that, uh, just quickly, is that technically legal? Back then, yeah, uh, I it's a bit of a grey area. It has become problematic yeah. um, because there are people of both sexes that can stalk, and it can be very, very creepy. Where people just have no ability to be able to say no. So when you say to someone, uh, if you're in a relationship, look, it's finished, it's over. I want to move on. I've met someone else. Or, you know what, quite frankly, I just don't like you anymore. Yeah. Or for whatever reason, all people should be able to say that in a, in a good way, in a nice way, in a, in, a, in a respectful way, and then enable that person to move on with their life. And some people, both male and female, and in same-sex relationships, all the different types of relationships, very, very... It's, I think it's quite rare... I mean, everyone gets very, very upset, particularly if it's the other person that breaks off with them. But at a certain point, one needs to just kind of move on. We've all been in these situations, and this particular girl was incapable, and she became obsessed with Julian to the point where it got so bad that police would be then detailed at the end of a shift to go out and actually scout around and look and sure enough if they saw her waiting then julian was basically trapped inside the station and then uh christine came up with a bit of a brainwave well just quickly what would happen if um what would happen if julian just walked outside what what is she gonna do is she gonna follow him home is she gonna like what is she'd she'd make a scene right and it was embarrassing Mm. for everyone and look, it was just, it was mad, it was mad, and it kind of, it's a bit creepy, and and to be, to be, to 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 have to observe this, and yeah. it's very very difficult when you're in the police force to have this external force that can have a dramatic effect on your, on the safety of your. I mean, what happens if she was sitting in her car and then she manages to see Julian hop in the police car and head off to on an urgent duty, like a job. Right, Imagine an armed robbery or a... And she decides to follow. Like, it's just madness and it's crazy and creepy. Mm. And if you, if you knew her and knew the brother and got a sense of 
her family and her environs, you'd begin to think, shit, this is actually getting really weird. Right. And um, and it got so bad that he, that Julian was just basically a prisoner at the station. So, because she'd be sort of lurking. Mm. I mean, in today's age, yes, Paul, I think it it's tantamount to... Um, in legislation, you know, some type of offence, um, okay. because it because it hinders one's free movement. Yeah. Plus, it's just genuinely creepy, and because people that become that way are capable of doing terrible things. Seriously, they think, well, hang on a sec. If I can't have you, then, well, we all know what can happen, mm. and, and does happen, in society. So. Christine came up with a bit of a brainwave, bearing in mind that, you know, I hadn't known Christine long and had she'd just been introduced to Julian and mm. we were kind of fairly friendly. And and then one day Christine said, look, uh, so basically Christine had this really nice little Mazda and yeah. she pulled around the back of the station and then sort of furtively crept out of the station and jumped in the boot of Christine's car. And Christine drove Julian back to his, his car? car where he got out. She, like Christine got out, opened up the back. And it was like a covert operation. But that's the sort of the lengths that we had to go to. And pretty well all the police at North City knew about this crazy woman. And, I mean, don't forget that night that Christine walked out to her car <clears throat> and there was that guy sitting in her car. The uh, so she was being stalked as well. Same time, different time. Uh, pretty well the same time. But you're all. I mean, surely the look. If you're a police officer, you would like to think that you would be able to project an air of authority that would stop that stuff from happening. But I guess not, right? No, no. And I often think about police that are involved in major crime, for example. Yeah. Um, that are in, that are involved in the investigation of say say a bikey murder in in Melbourne or Adelaide or wherever in Australia and overseas, mm. you know these police that are involved in these horrific, scary, intense life or death investigations. At a certain point in time, they actually leave work. They leave the station and leave the protection of the station. They leave the protection. Well. Who's yeah. to say? And it's so easy that there could be someone waiting, lurking, with the intent of perhaps following them, finding out where they live, you know, and and sort of stalking there and kind of getting under their skin and and sort of... It's so... And and why it doesn't happen more often is, um, is, is, is a mystery to me. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Mm. Maybe it does. Maybe we just don't hear about it. You yeah, know? yeah. And it's um, just, you know, that's... Look, Paul, one of my very good friends in the police force and you... Knew him very, very well. Yeah. He was involved in deep undercover work. And I'm talking... Really? Oh, mate. The stories. Uh, he told me stories that were just so fascinating yet scary. Can we, can we hear some? Jesus. Okay. Well, he, for example, was investigating a major, major... Um, drug-related murder, and the prime suspect, this is going to blow you away, he, this is this family friend, I'll tell you who he is off mic, Okay. Um, and then you'll, you'll go shit because he's, yeah, you'd never pick this guy, and the level of deep cover that he is to operate in, he one day was following this guy who was a very, very heavy, probably multiple murderer and major drug kingpin in Australia. My good friend got so close to him that he could look at his boarding pass and he knew where he was flying to. Oh, he was at the airport. He was at the airport. In other words, Paul, he was right next to him. Oh, jeez. And this guy didn't know. Now, that's 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 heavy. And the most terrible aspect, and he told me a lot of stories that are just unbelievable in terms of surveillance work. When did he tell them to you? Are these like years ago? Oh, when you were on years the force, later. Or? Years later. Yeah, okay. okay. He was that good. Mm. And he was that in line with the ethics of being of working deep cover and now what i'm about to say now listeners is is an example of how dangerous his work was and that is that every single day that he was coming home to his private residence in sydney he would do an anti-surveillance run every single day Oh, that's to make where you sure kind he of, wasn't fo- yeah. being followed to mm, his family the, home. That that living life like that is so fucked up yeah. and scary. And he had, and perhaps I haven't seen him for a while, had a, a wife and some kids. And and his paramount concern is is the well being of his family. 
That's mm. the that, that's the level and the depth of his work, and the stakes that that they were involved in. Insofar as there was a real possibility mm. that the people and the organisations that he was involved with investigating in deep cover, and remember, with deep cover, some of these operations can go for at least months and sometimes years. And you may recall, Paul, when I worked in the Remington building in Fingerprints, where all the big squads were, um, down in the very basement car park were all the undercover cars. I'm quite sure we've touched on this. We have, yes. And, and they had cars for every conceivable type of undercover operation. So, How do you it, think you would go? How do you think you would fare trying to do undercover work yourself? Well, I wouldn't want to be in a relationship. Right. I wouldn't want to have a wife. I wouldn't want kids. I, because you basically, if you're going deep cover, you can have no relationship with anyone. And the most, well, te- yeah. and the most terrible aspect of that was, remember that time when I was in the work cover authority and I was walking up Oxford Street and I came across... A guy no. that, funnily enough, was in my class. I can mention it now. And um, he was... In fact, we're having the reunion, the 40th reunion, next month. Yeah. And did you post the, the class photo on... Um, I did, yes. The, great. The, the, the class photo. Okay, well, um, one person in that photograph, and not me... Mm-hmm. There's a person in that photograph yep. who ended up in working super deep cover. Like he'd been arrested and he was taken into the cells at Darlinghurst and bashed by police. And he was a police officer. What, sorry, why was he bashed? Because he was working deep cover. Yep. So when you're oh, working deep cover... Yep, yep, yep. And you... If there's a raid, mm-hmm. you're you're in deep cover, so you're going to be arrested because you're you. They don't the police that are doing the, the like a let's say it's a big drug bust. Uh huh. They don't know that there's someone in deep cover, do they? First of all, why are you bashing a suspect? Because sometimes that happened in the eighties. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, that's, I'm just raising. A- I'm raising the question of okay. Let's say you were that cop. You're in deep cover. You get arrested, you know, that's part of the deal. And then you get assaulted. Later on, when you come out of deep cover, surely you you get yours back in some mm, way, right? Maybe yes, maybe no. I My gut feeling is probably not. You just okay. suck it up. And anyway, so I'd been out of the police force for a while. I'm walking up Oxford Street. I see this guy that I knew really well because he was in my class. Mm-hmm. And he was walking towards me and he was walking with two guys. These two guys that he was with, Blind Freddy, in a microsecond knew that these two guys were super heavy. They were really, really big-time scary crims. And I recognised my friend... He recognised me. He's obviously working deep cover. 
Can you imagine if I had have stopped him on Oxford Street with these two guys? Oh, shit. And said, well, imagine if I had have used his real name. He could have ended up dead. That's how scary this was. Oh, Jesus. And in a microsecond, Paul, he looked at me. Yep. And he gave me a stare that I will never forget. And I fortunately yep. and fortuitously in that exchange of glances realised, thank God, that I was to completely not acknowledge him and walk yep. past. And that's the last time I saw him for some time. And then I once later, many years later, bumped into him and he filled me in on a few of the um, the intricacies of that particular case. And he also revealed something to me about a story that's coming up in... Um, I'm not sure whether it's this book or the next book of yours, Paul. Mm-hmm. But it's that very famous case of the prostitute. That that's uh, yeah, that's Electric Blue. Now that story, Paul. There's more to that story that I've never told you. Oh, and shit. my friend who was working undercover yeah. told me something so terrible that it's going to be taken to the grave with me. So that's a heads up. So that's all about undercover and i guess we have moved off topic a little bit paul but you know what i i've never you know i really kind of the the whole haunting thing yeah really just kind of uh, I'm, I'm 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 dubious to say the least but, in what respect oh about well, haunting being haunting. a real thing yeah and then of course your your chapter yeah this chapter yeah is about well do you want to read from the book or what would you like to well, yeah, look, I'm, I'll, I'll have a quick read. Mm. So this chapter kind of sets up something that happens later on. And that's always a tricky thing to do because, you know, I know how you hate um, having to kind of put a pin in stuff. Mm. But here we go. I'm going to read you something now and then I'm going to explain to you, Dad, a bit of backstory about this character. Because obviously sometimes in books you have to invent characters to kind of deliver things that were real. Mm. Um, okay, here we go. So... John thanked Dunn and headed back to his desk. After 20 minutes or so of plotting away on his paperwork, a constable John had seen around once or twice, Mackenzie, sat down opposite him with a cup of tea. Mackenzie smiled and nodded at John. He was about 40, bald, and had a goatee. He had twinkling, tiny eyes. John noticed he was missing the end of his thumb. Mackenzie saw him staring. Got caught in a door. Fucking hurt, too. He smiled, cutting John off. It's okay, I'd look, too. After a moment, John decided he needed to run this haunted cell nonsense by someone else, so he cleared his throat and told Mackenzie the entire thing. When he'd finished, Mackenzie threw him a strange look. Hang on, what cell was that? John peered back down the corridor to check. Uh, cell four? Mackenzie looked coldly at John, all sparkle gone from his eyes. He rubbed his jaw, looking troubled. After a long pause, he spoke. Cell four is haunted, mate. People hear voices in there all the time. Have since, shit, five years at least. I've had to move three people out of there. Always happens around this time of night, too. John laughed, thinking here it was, third dickhead of the night. His laugh died off. Mackenzie wasn't laughing. He got up to leave, then turned to John one last time. I should put a sign on the door or something. He walked off towards the bathrooms. So basically, you there were voices being heard in mm. some of the cell blocks, right? Correct, yep. The, the Mackenzie character, because we needed someone in the book to basically deliver this information to you, and 
I have a very, 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 very different, uh, very different. And sometimes when you're trying to create characters, you can't just fall back on brown hair, blue eyes, whatever. Mm. So I just based what I did basically was just cast my friend as this mm. character and mm. name him after him. Uh, and when my friend read the book, he was like, you cast me as a bit of a dickhead. I'm like, what did you want? Did you want to be a heroic character? I was like, yeah. And I'm like, no, it's way more fun to be the kind of odd character actor character. Anyway, so out there right now, this this is a real person, basically. Mm, I know, I'll bet him. And I can, be- you've done a perfect visualization. The only thing I must pull you up on yeah. is that no police officers in uniform had a goatee. Oh, that's interesting. You were allowed a moustache. That was it. So, oh, really? Yeah, okay. Now so, you can have a full face beard in general but, duties. But Dunn has a moustache, right? Mm. Why? Why not a goatee? Um, that was just the rule. That was just you could have you could have a, a moustache, and it, it it had. There was actually a book uh, when when I joined the New South Wales Police Force in nineteen eighty slash eighty one. They yep. actually had a book with all the diagrams of gentlemen's faces with. A moustache drawn on the face with actual measurements in inches as to how far out the moustache could could go to the left and right. Mm-hmm. Isn't that fascinating? So there were sort of regulation moustaches. You could not, for example, wax the end of your moustache and put it into a nice double curl. It just... Or have a, ha- have a handlebar or anything. Oh, no. Oh, not really. But there were a couple of highway patrol officers. You had the full that, trucker moustache that, that big... really went pretty, pretty hard. But you had to have a regulation haircut, so uh-huh. it was you couldn't have sideburns that would go down. They'd, they'd have all the dimensions marked out in these crazy. To think that they actually had people coming up and figuring out what was, and they, I guess they needed, you know, they needed rules. They were very, yeah. very strict about the haircuts. They were, yeah. You'd often have um, inspections where they'd you had to present yourself to senior officers, and they would walk around you and check out from every angle your haircut. That's bonkers. No, at, at the Redfern Police Academy, yeah, there was a um, a barber shop, and I I know for a fact that he made his entire career out of out of cutting trainees, you know, hair. I'd like to ask mum about how that applied to women because I've looked at the photos of all the female cops, you know, in the kind of, um, in like the locker room taking photos, kind of goofing around. And they all looked like they had, I would say, relatively sensible haircuts, but they also all looked kind of, I mean, you know, that kind of like, like a, like. Well, women had to have their hair tied at the back in a bun. Right. They weren't allowed to have flowing hair. No, but like a perm or something, or uh, you know, oh, it had to there be, was a lot of hmm. there was a lot of short hair, basically. A lot of uh, short hair, and yep. uh, I, I I think the women perhaps tucked it up inside their hat or something. I'm not right. quite sure. Okay. Um, but look, yeah. let's get back to okay. So right, first of all, um, Mackenzie in the book is bald. I'm assuming that was a pretty That's okay. common occurrence. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. yeah. Don't have to wear a regulation wig or anything. Okay. No, no. Um, so no to the goatee. So we're going to have to give Mackenzie a bit of a trim. Mm. Um, like uh, like Wooly Willy. Is that the guy with the kind of, you know, with the kind of iron filings and you have to, it doesn't matter. So Mackenzie is talking to you about this haunting. The real meat of this is that there was a cell that was apparently haunted. Mm. Correct? Mm. Yeah. And uh, I mean, 
North Sydney Police Station is now a closed building. We can't go inside, which is a real shame. But it's mm. still there. You can mm. literally, you, if you want to kind of go to the key location from loose units, you can just go there. It's the, it's attached to the post office, isn't it? Mm. It's, um, and the court, and it's it, it is unchanged. I, I I pulled up outside there a few weeks ago. Pulled up in the yeah. Ute, and I actually got out of the Ute, and I. I took a bit of a video, sort of short video, mm. and it is as it was the morning I walked into that station mm. for the first time. That's crazy. It is exactly the same in every... I would just... I'd love to go inside it. And it's basically abandoned, and it's how? because it's heritage listed. But how would we get... Okay, here's, okay, here's the thing. I, when writing the book, had to basically base the interior architecture of this place off every stupid cop show cop film trope ever mm, right mm, you just you know mm. you just kind of you know in your head roughly what it looks like so i've just kind of described the space as i perceive it but mm. the fact is i could go in there with you right they might mm. d- dust the key off and open the door mm. and you will know exactly where you're going i will probably be walking around expecting to see the and I'm sure listeners will have the same problem and readers of the books will have the same problem. I'm sure they will be visualizing a space in their heads that looks nothing like what it actually looked like. Um, at the old Melbourne jail, there is a replica of a late 80s, early 90s era Victorian police kind of uh, room. And mm. it's got the reception desk and it's got, uh, you know, workspaces. And they've got everything down to the, uh, the phones and the notepaper and the kind of work safety ads in the corner and the stationery. It's all perfect. Um, even the carpet, everything feels like it's kind of appropriate for the era. Mm. But the actual internal architecture, when you walked into North Sydney Police Station, what did you actually see? You walked in the front door. Yeah. And the first thing you see is a large counter with a swing section. So you yep. could lift up part of the counter to enable, uh, for example, a prisoner uh-huh. to be able to be brought in behind... Uh, the counter. There was a wall behind the public counter which housed the Sylvester switchboard from the 1920s, which you've mentioned a number of times. There were interrogation rooms off to the right um, where a lot of your stories took place. Yep. Uh, Every single desk in every police station had manual typewriters. There were typewriters everywhere. Mm. And then behind the Sylvester switch. Now, this is a building that was built, I would imagine, perhaps in the 1860s. So incredibly old-fashioned but very sturdy, thick walls. Was a corridor. And down that corridor were the cells. And if you came back into the main area, and it wasn't that big, the counter... If you walked, sort of, so you walked in the front door of North Sydney Police Station, you can see the counter, you look to the left, and behind another wall over to the left is the charge room, which is basically an area which had a dock, which is where the prisoners would actually be. It had a sort of a swing door, and you would open up the door, and it had a, like a bench seat, and it was, it was like a small cell. But you could easily, not easily, but you could jump out of it if you wanted to and suffer the consequences. And then they that's the charge room. That's where prisoners ended up and that's where they were formally charged and bailed or not bailed. If it was a serious offence, they would be then charged and then put into one of the cells. 
And there were and a number speaking, of cells. Yep. And speaking speaking of the cells, mm. it was in these cells that a prisoner in this chapter basically said, "Can I please change cells? I'm hearing a voice." In no, the this walls. guy was screaming. <laughs> but it was Same not. The, it was not the first time that I had heard. Well, there were rumours that one of mm. the cells was was haunted. Um. And I, this guy was seriously, seriously, he was really stressed mm. because he said that he could hear voices and he, he was not, um, he was not suffering, in my opinion, from any um, psychosis or psychiatric illness. He was, he was compass mentis and very lucid and, but he was clearly distressed. Yeah. Um, I mean, the only thing inside each cell was a stainless steel toilet. Right. Which is kind of weird to think. Can you imagine being in a cell with, say, 10, 15 other people uh, there for, say, you could have a pedophile, a mass murderer, an arsonist, a rapist, someone that's just done an armed robbery, Someone that hasn't paid a parking ticket. Yeah, it doesn't all seem like a one, one size fits all. But yeah. that's how it was. All in yeah. one cell, so, and you need to take a dump. You have to go. You have to go to the toilet. Right. So I you mean, you drop your dax mm-hmm. in front of ten strange men. Yeah. And you yeah. shit. Now, when you shit, oh, and by the way, there's no, you know, normal toilets have got a nice lid, like a plastic lid. Yeah. And a cover and everything. No, no, no. Mm. There's nothing. There was just a 1960s one-piece, one-moulded stainless steel can that you drop your ass down onto. Imagine in winter how cold that would be. But that's not the problem. The problem is you've got all these other people that you don't know. I mean, I don't know what... I, I, that, I just can't imagine what that would be like. But then there's the smell... And all well, these look, people. I mean, it's just so weird. So, all of these, yeah, all of these things sound pretty spooky, but not as spooky as the actual. True, true. You true. know, the. But anyway, look. What I'm trying to say is, we will try and resolve this kind of haunting case later on in Excellent. the chapter. Brilliant. And I want, Dad. I wanted to kind of just before we wrap up, just very quickly, let everyone know what's happening in next week's episode. Uh, Dad and Julian and the other cadets go back for secondary training, and while they are there. Well, long story short, you were going to hear a story about Roger Rogerson, and uh, it is—it's a big one. It's been talked about, um, the, like Dad's version of this and my chapter of this have been talked about in news.com.au. This has been a big story, but this is going to be a really interesting time to look at this story in depth. So, next week on Loose Units, Roger Rogerson. Later this week on Friday, you'll hear more loose ends. We're going to be answering lots of your questions. So make sure you head across to facebook.com forward slash loose units and ask away. Have a great week, everyone. And thanks, Dad. And uh, I'll see you later in the week. Paul, I absolutely loved it. And, uh, and cheerio to everyone. Bye. Bye. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.